loves you and that he wants you to be a difference maker. As we start this series, I want you to know that every single person here, whether you're 13 years of age or 93 years of age or even beyond those numbers, we want you during this series called Average Joe to see that you are not an average Joe and that God wants to use you as a difference maker in your homes and uh, in your friendships and in your community and your neighborhood and at your workplace and all those things. And so I want to just declare today to all of us and all of our campuses that you are no average Joe. As a matter of fact, it'd be really good if you just said it kind of quietly to yourself, I am no average Joe, that it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what your background is, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, God wants to use you as a difference maker, and we're going to be talking about that as we go through this series. Hope you'll join us each and every week. Let me start off by showing you a couple of people who have uh, uh, made differences in their life. This is Joyce, Joyce Banau. She just graduated from Northern Illinois University in 2022. She started college 77 years ago and just got her degree last year, and, um, and so she is now prepared and ready to go. She wanted to finish it. She promised herself she would do that, and she is no average Joe. She did that in Northern Illinois NIU University last year, uh, Bachelor of Science uh, degree that she has. Uh, she wears that robe. It's awesome. Let me show you somebody else. This is uh, pa- Satchel Page. Anybody know Satchel Page? That's not really his real name. Uh, Satchel was given to him as a nickname because he would carry newspapers on this big bag, the Satchel that he had. And Satchel, at uh, September 25th, 1965, went in as the pitcher and was in for three innings at the age of 59 and two months old. He is the oldest living, uh, oldest uh, pitcher that have ever played professional uh, baseball for the Kansas City Athletics. And uh, that's Satchel Page right there. He also is no average Joe. And then here, this is Emily Van Meter. Emily Van Meter is the first person who flew from uh, Maine, uh, Augusta, Maine, all the way to San Diego, across the nation, the youngest pilot ever to fly across the continental USA. She is 11 years of old. That's the sixth grade. Can you imagine that? A sixth grader flew all the way across the entire United States in 1993. Um, she flew, uh, she had a, some help with, with her, the co-pilot was her trainer, but he touched no buttons at all. She flew the entire plane the whole time, and uh, that was in 1993. They've changed the laws since, and so... <laughs> That will never happen again, actually. So if you're a pilot, never fear. There won't be any sixth graders in the air. Um, That's Emily right there. Absolutely amazing. Today, what I want to do with you is I want to look at a character in the Old Testament who is no average Joe. You probably know a little bit about his story. And I want you to see uh, that we can learn from him to motivate you and I to the fact that you are no average Joe, that God wants to use you as a a difference maker as well. His name is Gideon. Um, His actual name, if you were to translate his name, means mighty warrior, which is kind of comical because he was neither of the two, mighty nor a warrior. He actually he became a warrior as he recognized that God had called him to do something as a difference maker. And even then, he didn't really do much uh, as a commander of an army. Um, he never drew his sword out, never had any battles of any kind, and yet he was a mighty warrior uh, in the scheme of things. And so we're going to look at his story today. And so hope you brought a Bible with you or some device. Turn with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges is the seventh book in the Bible, starting with Genesis in the Old Testament. And while you're turning there, let me just say, Good morning, Fairhaven. How are you doing? 
and looking around, good to see you today. Thank you for coming on this Sunday after Easter. It's great to have you here. I want to welcome Springboro and Northmont, Beaver Creek. I want to welcome Classics and all of you that are right here in the Centerville campus. Great to have you. I want to welcome all those that are online with us, joining in the community here and around the country and world, actually. We're so, so glad to have you. I hope you'll be with us this entire series as we're going to be looking at what it means to be a difference maker because you are no average Joe. Let's take a look. Judges chapter 6. We're going to be in chapter 6 and chapter 7. So you're going to want to see it here, even though you probably know some of the stories if you've been in Sunday school. Uh, let me read parts of it for you. We'll be in both chapters. And so let me start with Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what it says. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You may want to underline that phrase, evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. So they were under the bondage of the Midianites for seven long years. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites uh, and the people of the Far East would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza. Anybody ever hear of the word Gaza? For 3,000 years. This is 3,000 years ago, still fighting over that land today in Israel, the south part of Israel. Uh, as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkeys. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the, the land as they came in, and Israel was brought very low, translated, their morale was low, they were, they were unsure about their faith, they had all kinds of problems in their life. Uh, because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. You may want to underline that. There's a theme going on here, and you'll see it in a second. They cried out for help to the Lord. Verse 7, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet. We don't know who the prophet is. We're not told who the prophet is. doesn't matter. The prophet said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hand of all those who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I say to you, I am the Lord your God. Hear that, church. God is saying that to us today. I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods, lowercase g, of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. You may want to underline that phrase because those three phrases actually relate to each other. What I want to see here is that as we go through this series, you're going to discover people like Gideon, who's no average Joe, that God uses them in order to be able to be a difference maker. And the problem is there's always a problem and God uses them to help with the problem. In this case, the problem was that the Israelites were under the captivity of the Midianites for seven years. As a matter of fact, they drove them out of their houses. That's why it tells us right here in Judges chapter 6 that they were living in tents. They were living in caves. Anybody here a, a, a camper? Anybody camp for, you know, on any one of our campuses? Anybody love camping? If you love to camp, it's fun for seven days. It's not fun for seven years. 
They were camping for seven years in tents and in caves and in strongholds, meaning they had lean-tos and they made places. And uh, anything that they had was taken from them. The Midianites took all their food, took all their animals. They took over everything. Life was really, really hard. I mean, there's a problem, and that is the Midianites were controlling the Israelites, and God was about ready to talk to a man named Gideon and invite him to the process of becoming a massive uh, you know, difference maker. The problem is, is that before we get to that story, we need to kind of understand what was going on with the Midianites and the Israelites, because the problems that they faced in their lives are 3,000 years later, not that much different than the problems we face today. So what I want to do is I want to give you what I'm calling the self-created cycle of life, a cycle that the Israelites were living in, a cycle that God wants us to break a cycle that Gideon was used by God in order to drive the Midianites away in order to break that cycle. So part of the problem was the fact that they were in the cycle. And the cycle looks something like this. You may recognize it. It's when they did what they wanted. So the Israelites did whatever they wanted. They married whoever they wanted. Um, they worshipped whatever they wanted because there were lots of gods among the Midianites and the Amalekites and all those that were there. And so they did whatever they wanted. And I think you know what's next, don't you? Well, when you do what you want, then you face the consequences. And so they face the consequences. They did, they did what they wanted, and the Midianites came in. In fact, it says here that God gave them over to the hand of the Midianites. And, uh, and so they said, you want to live how you want to live? Go for it. And so they faced consequences in their life. And I read it for you. Here's number three in the cycle uh, of self-created cycle, and that's this. They cried out for help. They asked God to help them. And if you're here today and you're a follower of God, you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that this next point is amazing. If you're here today and you're contemplating making a decision, and if you're here today and you would say, you know, I'm not really sure, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm a follower of Jesus, um, this is where you've seen in us things go bad. And we need to fix that for those of us that are followers of Jesus. And so pay close attention because the truth of the matter is if God is Lord of your life, then it should impact your decisions. Is that right, church? And if it impacts your decisions, then it also impacts our consequences and it impacts the whole cycle. So here's number four in the cycle. They did what they wanted. They faced the consequences in their life. They cried out for help and God rescued them because he always does that. He is a loving God, and he cares so deeply about you, and, uh, and that's what he does. And so if you're here today, again, and you're not a follower of God, you probably have seen that in our life. You've probably seen that we make our own decisions, and we face consequences, and we cry out to help for God, and God rescues us. The problem is, is that after God rescues them, what do they do? They did what they wanted. As a matter of fact, in Judges chapter 6, if you want to write in the top of that chapter there, you can write the number 4. Because this is the fourth time that this happens in the book of Judges, where over a period of years, they forget, over a period of years and months, they just you know, decide life is going pretty well, and so they do what they want, they face the consequences, they cried out for help, and God rescued them. 3,000 years later, in our lives today, interestingly enough, the cycle is not much different. Let me show you. The cycle goes something like this. We do what we want. 
We get into relationships, you know, whatever we want. We, we spend our money however we want. We, you know, we live our lives however we want. We say whatever we want. Um, if you're married, you know, you, you can have conversations and, and do what you want in your marriage and say what you want. And, and uh, if you're single and you have friends and, you know, if you isolate your friends and, and you just do what you want, here's what happens because we know it. Well, we face the consequences. Our marriage is tough. Our friendships, singles, are tough. Um, you just can't say whatever you want to the people around you, and it gets you into trouble. You spend your money, and you wonder why you're in debt. You wonder why God isn't blessing you financially. You wonder why um, that job isn't working out for you because of the consequences in life. And so what do we do? We cry out to God, and we say, God, you know, if you only would give me a little bit more money, things would be better. If you'd only fix my marriage, if you'd only fix my wife or fix my husband, if you'd only give me a spouse, or if you'd only let me have children, or whatever it might be in your life, if you just let me find another place to live, if, if I could just get a better paying job. And, and so we cry out to God. And you know what God does? He does what he always does. God rescues us because he loves us and he cares. And he does that because he wants to break the cycle. He wants this cycle to be broken. And so take a screenshot of this or, or figure out in your life how you can remember this because this is the way we live. This is the way the Israelites were living. It's no wonder that the Midianites came in and God was going to use Gideon to be a difference maker, a change maker, even though he saw himself as an average Joe. Turns out he wasn't. You know, when you look at this cycle, and many of you can relate to it, I know I can relate to it, when I make a really bad decision in my life and I face the consequences or there's things in my life where my wife says, you know, you probably shouldn't say it that way and I need to learn that. And uh, if I don't learn that and I say it again, well, I face the consequences and, and, uh, and then we call out to God and we, God rescues us. What's really interesting about this cycle is that embedded in this cycle are two words that we need to understand the difference because all through the Bible we see this. See, this cycle helps us to understand that there's a difference between regret and repentance. Would you agree, church? There's a huge difference. Now, the truth is, if you read Scripture and you read the Bible and you read how God wants to love us, God wants us to understand that regret may be something that you face in your life, but he wants to move you to repentance. Simply put, regret is like when you get caught. Repentance is when you recognize it was wrong. Big difference between the two, even though you still might be caught in the process of it. It's interesting as a parent, I get this a lot more uh, because I've raised four sons. You know, you catch your sons doing something and they're like, oh, we're, I'm so sorry. And you get to see how sorry they are. Help me out here, parents. You get to see how sorry they really are because if they change it, that's repentance. And if they don't change it, that's just regret. In fact, let me give you three things to think about between these two words, which is really interesting. Regret means that it's just about us. We feel ashamed, we feel guilty, we feel like, well, that, it, that didn't make me look very good, and, and you know, it's all about us, where repentance is really all about God. Uh, I don't want to displease God. Um, I, I want to make sure that, that I do the things that God asked me to do. I, I want to be a person that, that reflects who God is in my life. It's, that's what repentance is. Repentance is not about us, it's all about God. Regret, secondly, regret is the cycle. Because you can regret and you can face the consequences and you can cry out to God and God will rescue you. And then two months can go by, six months can go by, six years can go by, in this case, seven years. Seven years can go by and we forget, right? And then what do we do? Well, we 
we decide, make decisions, we do whatever we want. And then we face the consequences, and so it's a cycle. And regret is really just about the cycle, where repentance is about a pathway to healing, where you recognize that 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 behavior or the lack of behavior is something that God wants us to change in our life. And as we make those changes in our life, it's the pathway to healing where you don't say those kinds of things to your spouse, where we don't isolate our friends if you're single and wonder why we're alone, or we don't behave that way at work and so forth and so on. And there's all kinds of things. There's a huge difference between the two. And then thirdly, regret is justifying our desires, where we get defensive and and so forth, where really repentance is reordering our desires so that God can change those desires inside of us. So the Israelites found themselves in this cycle. And all through the book of Judges, you'll see it. If you read the book of Judges from, from, you know, from chapter one all the way to the end, you'll see that this cycle happened over and over and over again. And if you were to take a close look at my life, you know what you'd discover? That there are times in my life where I went through a cycle over and over, and chances are you as well. And so as we're thinking about not being an average Joe and how God wants to use you as a difference maker, We need to start with understanding that sometimes in life, we find ourselves in this self-created cycle that must be broken. And it must be broken so that we can move to repentance in our lives. Well, let's read on, because the problem was that the Israelites were under the control of the Midianites, really because of their own fault. They got themselves in all kinds of trouble. And so here's what happens. Gideon um, is invited to the process of being a, um, a difference maker. Let's take a look. Judges chapter 6, drop down to verse 11. Here's what happens. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon, so this is his father, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. There is no sarcasm there, none. The angel was saying something to encourage Gideon and saying to him, You have within you, if you allow God to work, to be a difference maker. You are a mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. What's really interesting is as we read on here, which we'll do in a second, as we read on, Gideon felt very um, unqualified. Gideon felt inadequate. Gideon was fearful because of all the things that were going on in Israel at that time. They were living in tents and caves, and Gideon had a, had a family that he thought, well, because of my family, I don't think I can really, I mean, I'm not the one to do this. I mean, my family's not a prominent, my family's not well-known, and so therefore, my family of origin doesn't help me at all. I don't think I'm the right guy, and he's going to push back on this whole thing, even though um, Gideon was there, and the angel met him, and it's just really an interesting verse, verse 11. It says, Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press. I don't know if you know anything about wine press or beating out wheat. Let me just explain it briefly because um, it's important to the story. A wine press in Israel is when they would bore out a hole in the rock about, I don't know, seven feet down. So they would bore out a hole in a rock and it would be a hole like this. And what they would do is they would throw, um, they would throw grapes inside that hole. And then they would go in, down inside the hole and they would walk on the grapes and they would press out the wine. That's what a wine press is called. And they would stamp it out and stamp it out. Now, if you're going to 
If you're going to beat out wheat, what you would do is stand on the highest place possible and you throw the wheat in the air and the wind actually would throw the chaff away or that which is no good for the wheat. And what you're left with is the heavy wheat and it would fall back down and it would catch it and that's what would purify it or make it edible in a sense. So it makes no sense for getting to be in a hole, throwing the wheat up, hoping that the air would catch it when there's no air in a hole. But more than that, if you read here in verse 11, it says that Gideon was afraid that the Midianites would actually take it because that's what they did. They took everything. So they would take this grain that, was, that they were using to eat. And so Gideon was fearful. He felt unqualified. He felt like, you know what? I don't even have any courage in my life. I mean, after all, I'm down in this hole and I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. And then, and then Gideon came up with the excuse that I think many of us use. Or maybe I should just say that sometimes I use. And chances are you might have used as well. Because if you're thinking about the possibility of being a difference maker when there's problems either in your life or your family or the people around you, and God wants to call you to be a difference maker, if you're no average Joe, you probably have the same excuse that Gideon had. Let's take a look. It's in verse 13. This is what Gideon's response was to the angel who said, you're a mighty man of valor. And so Gideon said this to him, to the angel, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and give us into the land of the Midianites. And the Lord has turned to him and said, go in this might and yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you, God says to, um, to Gideon. And he said to him, please, Lord, uh, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in, Ma in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house, meaning I'm the youngest and the youngest, um, I don't know if you're the youngest here today, but the youngest was the least important in the family. Sorry about that. If you're the youngest, um, I'm sorry about your luck. Um, and Gideon was the youngest, and so he was the weakest in his family. Um, but I will be with you, God says, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Gideon uses an excuse that 3,000 years later, we still use. It looks something like this. You may want to jot this down because this is really powerful. If you begin to reflect on it and think about it, you might want to in your small groups talk about it. And the excuse was this. If God could, then he should. I mean, why are you calling me to help you know, get rid of the Midianites? I mean, if you're a loving God and you care about me and you want good in my life, um, if you can take care of the Midianites, then you should. I think we live with that same excuse. You see, God, if you could heal my illness, then you should. You see, God, if you could solve my financial problems, then you should. If, God, you could help me to find a mate for life, then you should do that. God, if my wife and I have been praying for months and months and years and years that we would have a child, and you can do that because you're a powerful, all-knowing God, then you should do that. It's an excuse that we all live with, and 3,000 years later, not much has changed. This is a really problematic statement, uh, and Gideon probably knew it when it came out of his mouth because I know it when it comes out of my mouth. And the reality is, this statement, if God could then he should, really is saying a couple of things that we need to make sure that we get on the good side of. 
So make sure that you hear this part, and if you're a note taker, you may want to jot this part down because this is really important for us to get on the right side of if we're going to be thinking about becoming a difference maker. See, what we're really saying here is this. I don't see a good reason for the pain that I'm going through. I don't see a good reason why I should have these physical problems in my life. I don't see any good reason why I struggle financially and those people don't. What we're saying is we don't see that this is any good in our lives, which is problematic, and there's two things that can solve this excuse. Are you ready for these two? Let me give you two of them. I put them in your notes uh, if you want to look at them later. Two things that will solve the excuse that we have when we say, if God could, he should. And number one is that we got to break the cycle. Because sometimes we find ourselves in situations because we're facing consequences of decisions that we made. Anybody agree with that? And so number one is we got to break the cycle. As a matter of fact, as a part of number one, it's important for us to understand that all the hardship that we have in life is not the evidence that God has abandoned us. If you're experiencing hardship in your life, you cannot put one and one together. You cannot say you're experiencing hardship because God has abandoned you. That's just not true. And Gideon was alluding to that. He was saying, God, if, if you want to take care of the Midianites, go for it. Go for it. As if God has abandoned them, and which he hasn't. And so really, we have to deal with the self-created cycle that we have. Here's the second way that we deal uh, with this excuse, and that's this. We have to know, we may not like it, but we have to know that there is a purpose in every season. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you because I've had a couple things happen in my life where I'm like, I don't see much purpose in that. And so if that's where you're at right now, let, let me help you process this, because I think this is what Gideon was processing, and, and I know this is what I process, and as I read scripture of the other people that we're going to be looking at as difference makers who were no average Joes, um, I think this is how we need to process it. See, if you say to yourself, there's a purpose in every season, we have to ask a few questions. So let me ask the questions out loud. Is it possible that God is smarter than you? Is that possible? <laughs> Secondly, is it possible that God can see something that you and I can't? Is it possible that God wants to use your circumstance in order to be a part of being a difference maker either in your own life or for someone else? Is it possible that in eternity, somewhere along the line, we're going to see how God was able to make good out of that, even though right now we can't imagine in any way how that's going to be good. We just can't imagine it. And so if there's an excuse that we come up with, if God could, then he should, first thing we need to do is ask ourselves, are we in the cycle, the self-created cycle? We have to ask ourselves that question because we've got to break that because that may be our problem. And secondly, we have to say, even though we don't get it, we don't understand it, we don't even like it, there is purpose in every season. And so God is then talking to Gideon and he wants to use Gideon as a difference maker. And so then he says, okay, Gideon, you're up. So in chapter 6, drop down to verse 36, I'm not going to read it for you, but as your Bibles are open, you can see in there, Gideon wants to check, actually, to see if God is 
real and, and if he really means this. And so he lays out what we call a fleece. And the reason we call it a fleece is because, well, because he laid out a fleece. And so he took the fleece, the skin of an animal, and he put it outside, and he said, God, if this is true, and if I can trust you, even though I don't see any good in this, and, and even though you want to rescue the Midianites and you want to use me, I mean, who am I? Um, I'm unqualified. Would you allow that fleece to be wet? Which isn't really that difficult. I mean, think about it. If you left a coat outside, and you got up the next morning, and you waited till about 10 a.m., is it true that the grass may be dried up, but your coat still could be wet from the dew? Would that be possible? Yeah, yeah that's very possible. And so uh, that's exactly what Gideon asked, and God, God you know, honored that. But then Gideon realized, well, wait a minute, that, wasn't, that probably wasn't that difficult. And so he said, okay, God, don't be mad at me, but would you flip that? Would you allow the fleece to be dry and the ground all around to be wet? And that's exactly what God did. It wasn't that Gideon was testing God. Make sure you catch that. Gideon was not testing God. Gideon lived with all kinds of gods all around him. And he wanted to prove that God is the only God. So he said, God, I need some clarity. And in the clarity, he got courage. Isn't that amazing how God does that? He gives us clarity in order that we might have courage. And so he says, I want you to be the difference maker. And so I want you to help rescue Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. And so chapter 7, flip your you know, page over, chapter 7, uh, Gideon does what you and I all would do. And that is Gideon builds an army. So he tells everybody in Israel, come on, we're going to fight the Midianites. And so he begins to build an army. And it tells us in chapter 7 that he was able to amass an army of 32,000 soldiers. Now, if you read into chapter 8, you realize that the Midianites had 120,000 men. I mean, huge army. And so 32,000 up against 120,000. I guess if you're really good, I mean, somebody do the math for me. I don't know what that, you know, what that is, the ratio of, you know, of Israelites to Midianites. But 32,000 to 120,000 people, they're up against. And so he brings this army together and he gathers them together in a certain area to, in order to give them the, you know, the battle plans and so forth and so on. And God says, you have too many. What? Yeah, you have too many. And so here's what you need to do. You need to tell the 32,000, if you're afraid, you're welcome to go home. Now, how many of you would be one of the afraid, you know, of the 32,000 so can go home? I mean, after, I mean, after all, you're fighting this huge army, and for seven years, you've been underneath the control, and you're probably under all kinds of stress and so forth. And so he said, if you're afraid, go ahead and go home. And Gideon lost 22,000 soldiers. They were scared, which left him with 10,000 soldiers to go up against an army of 120,000 soldiers. And I could just imagine those 10,000 looking around you know, at each other, looking around, and they go, we, we need a t-shirt. We got to have a t-shirt. I mean, we, gotta, we need a t-shirt. And no doubt their t-shirt would be hashtag not scared. We are not scared. 10,000, here we go. Let's go. I mean, God said it. Let's do it, right? And so 10,000 men. And so then they get to the brook as they're getting ready to have the battle. And um, God says, now, now watch them. If the guys bend down and get a drink of water like a dog, like they put their face in the water and lap the, the water with their tongue, send them home. But if the guys cut the water and bring it up to their face, keeping an eye on the Midianites out there, I want you to fight with them. Well, 9,700 of them drank the water unsafely, apparently, and so Gideon was left with 300 men. Can you imagine that? 300 men 
And Gideon is probably sitting there going, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. And we learn a really, really important lesson about life. It's really not written in scripture here, but I think it's pretty obvious that we can say that when you're at a place in life where it's only up to God, you're probably in a pretty good spot. And whatever it is that you're facing, I don't know what it is for you, health, finances, family, marriage, singleness, kids, I don't know what it is for you. But if you're at a spot in your life and it feels like you're fighting with 300 men against a massive army, you're up against a battle you cannot win. I would tell you that if the battle is completely up to God, you're probably in the right spot. And we learned that from Gideon. So they go to war. What Gideon did is he took those 300 men and he broke them up into groups of 100. One on this side, one on this side, and one on this side. And he said, okay, guys, when I give you the signal, I want you to blow a horn so all of them had trumpets. And I want you to take the jar that has fire in it and I want you to break the jar. And so that's what happened. They blew the horn. They all blow their horn together. They crashed and and broke the jars, woke up the Midianites in the middle of the night. They got so confused. They killed each other, all 120,000. They killed each other. And not one Israelite had to draw their sword at all. Now that's the kind of battle I want to be a part of. Anybody else? (laughs) 300 men won the battle and they didn't even pull out their swords. It was trumpets and jars. And it's amazing because again, the principle is, is that when you fight a battle and you're not equipped, you're not qualified, you're not strong enough, and it's all up to God, you're probably in a pretty good spot. Three lessons that we learn, I think, from Gideon 3,000 years later. Let me give them to you. They're pretty self-explanatory, but I think it kind of wraps up the whole story of Gideon, who is not an average Joe, and neither are you. Here they are. Gideon, three things that we learn. Number one, We need to get out of the self-created cycle. So if you're here today and you find yourself in that cycle, because you know, I know, you know, if you're in that cycle of, you know, I'll decide what I want to, and I face consequences, and you ask God, and he he rescues you, and you just keep going in that cycle, we got to get out of that cycle. You're not going to be a difference maker. As a matter of fact, that's the way, hear me, church, that's the way to be an average Joe. If you want to be an average Joe, stay right in the cycle. Make your own decisions, face your consequences, cry out to God, he'll rescue you, and you'll just keep going on that cycle, and life will get really, really hard. And people that are around you, that that watch you when you say you're a follower of Jesus will be really, really confused. Because the truth of the matter is, many of us have been in the church for a long time. Many of us haven't. And I grew up in the church, and I remember being in high school thinking, you know, this faith thing is really odd, because it seems like God gives us a whole list of things we have to do, and it seems like God gives us a whole list of things we shouldn't do, and it all became about the list, until I recognized it's not about the list at all. It's about the fact that God knows me better than I know me, and he wants me to do things because it makes sense, it's better for me, there's less pain involved, he has my best interest in mind, and so actually when I follow and be obedient to God, it's not out of obligation, it's because I love him, because I want to love him back. And as I love him back, I break the cycle. Are you with me? We break the cycle. So the first lesson we learn is we got to get out of the self-created cycle. Number two, we've got to courageously do what God tells us. You know, I can tell you several points in my life where I know without a shadow of a doubt that God asked me to do something. And I thought, no, I don't think so. 
I don't think I'm qualified. I don't think I'm adequate enough. And I just let those opportunities go. And my guess is you may have had the same experience. And how about if today, in this series, how about if today we just decide, you know what, right now, we can't, we can't fix the past. We can think about the future. Today, is God asking you to do something? Has God been asking you to do something? Has God been impressing on you not to do something? Has God been nudging you to stop that in your life because he loves you, because he created you, and because he wants you to be a difference maker? How about if clarity is not the issue, how about courage to say, I'm going to do that? What would it be like if today you just said, you know what, with God's help, I'm going to do that. You'd be a difference maker, at least in the people around you to begin with. And then thirdly and lastly, uh, we learned from Gideon that we need to recognize that if it's all up to God, you're right where you want to be. Isn't that a great place to be where you just recognize, I don't have the strength to do this. I don't have the wisdom to do this. I just don't know what to do. And yet I can come to God and say, Lord, I need your help to give me the strength I need your help to give me the energy. I need your help to, uh, in this relationship. Uh, I need your help with my finances. I want to do the right things and all of those things. It's just absolutely amazing when you recognize that if it's all up to God, you're probably in the right spot. Let's try it. Why don't you bow with me for just a second? We're going to end the service. We don't have a song here today in any one of our campuses. We're just going to give you an opportunity to just think this through a little bit. And with your heads bowed and just a connection with God. The reason we bow our heads is to connect with God. It's not really because it's more spiritual. Maybe in your life today, you're in a cycle and you just, you want to break that cycle. And maybe you just want to ask God to give you the power to stop it. To just break that cycle. Maybe you know that God has been telling you and asking you to do something or to stop something and you just need the courage. Today could be your day. Courage. Or maybe you're exhausted. You're tired. You've had enough. You're not sure how you can go one more week, except if you know it's God who will get you through. Father, we thank you that your word is so relevant today that 3,000 years, it's even hard to get our minds around, 3,000 years later, you have something for us to learn. From a, man, from a man named Gideon, who was called a mighty warrior, who didn't do much warring, and yet, Father, he was willing. You used him as a difference maker. Would you use me? Would you use us? Father, we thank you that we are no average Joes. That as we leave here today, you'd help us, Lord, to break cycles, to courageously act on things you've told us, and to be reminded that if it's up to you, it's a good spot to be. Thank you, Father, for your love and your grace and your mercy and your strength and your freedom. Be with us as a church, as individuals, as families, as singles, as high school and middle school students. Lord, that it will be so evident to the people around us that we are difference makers. We thank you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen.